Well, hello everybody. It's Dan Clarkson podcast. Sometimes introduced, sometimes not. Go back, listen to some introductions on the early episodes. But we're in the thirties now, mid thirties, I believe. So the introductions are just going to be me waffling. I got a coffee. It's a morning podcast. I got a coffee. I'm going to talk about a little expedition. And again, make no apologies for this. Uh, Rubbish mic that I'm using because I've still not plugged in the good one because it's in the box because I'm moving. Anyhow, this podcast. Imagine, if you will, the Himalayas, Nepal to be precise, sat in the middle of monsoon season. Rain is pounding down on the buildings. The roads are like rivers. To walk from my hotel in Kathmandu to the restaurant that I frequent for breakfast, I either have to wear shorts or my dry trousers. I prefer the dry trousers. And you sit in that restaurant and you sit inside as that rain pounds and pounds and pounds all the time knowing that those rivers are getting higher and higher. The journey out of Kathmandu is treacherous most times, but in monsoon it's a little bit more daring, shall we say as the jeep skid and slides as they come out of the Kathmandu Valley. Landslides are obvious. There's always some car or jeep or bus or truck that's stuck in the landslide and maybe gone over the edge into the ravine below. But we drive up to Tunibote. Excuse me. Drive up to Tunibote. And our rafting resort on the banks of the Sun Cozy. We paddle the Indrawati and the Melanchi in high flows, and they're beautiful. Quick reactions and splash, splash, splash. Then we set off, me and my friend Chris. It's so wet that it doesn't matter what kayaking gear you wear, you're wet anyway. But we forgo dry cags in favour of t-shirts and shorts and we set off on the sun cosy. A journey that would take over a week, Raph supported. Maybe 9, 10, 11 days to paddle from Tunibote down to Chatra. And henceforth to the Indian border. But we set off knowing that somewhere down the river we'll find shelter. Because I'm not camping out in monsoon rain in Nepal. And the river's fast. It's like sitting on a freight train as it flies down the tracks. But it's not too hard. It's just fast and wide. Wider than it normally is. So ferry glides are a bit trickier than they should be. And the moving water's really nice. Some rapids are really big. No exit rapid, for example, which is, you know, interesting. 
for lots of people in October level, is really interested in the summer flow of this monsoon. And we can't quite see the exit. And scouting through those paddy fields is difficult. Now the normal line is just right of centre. And then you sort of hook a left at the bottom. We set off and hope and pray that the line's going to be the same in monsoon, but perhaps a little bigger. It's walled in, you see. It's really difficult to get out and see what we should be doing. We crest that first wave, maybe five, six foot. And the vista opens, and it is the same line, but the waves are a little bit more oceanic. As we paddle and cruise round, as that extra flow comes in from the tributary on the right. The heart doesn't miss a beat because we have a bit of space to move about and we're not going to hit that huge hydraulic that you see on the left and that's fine. So we skip and we slide and we move and we avoid the boils on the eddy line. And soon enough we pass in rapids like Meat Grinder and Punch and Judy. And those flat sections of dog water that we normally float and soak up the rays when we're on commercial rafting trips, they pass by super quickly in that flow. And before we know it, we're at Hakapur. And the biggest rapid on the trip. Excuse me. <coughs> now Hakapur Rapid is class five for lots of people. Some people call it a stiff four plus. I've seen it change a lot over the years because every monsoon seems to move a rock here and there. And this time we get there about three o'clock in the afternoon, perhaps four. I'm not carrying on through Hakapur tired at this time of night. So we find a hotel on the river left with bamboo walls and bare wooden beds with a jackal on a chain in the yard, a toilet at the end near the vegetable patch, and we sit and drink tea, eat dalba, eat noodles, and we walk down to Scout, the famous Hakapur Rapid. It is a crazy maelstrom of lateral waves and huge hydraulics. The landslide on the right dumps more rocks into the flow. And on the far, far left wall, where you would normally walk, there's a line. It's class four, but there's a line. And we know in the morning that that's where we're gonna run. We're gonna paddle over the places where we would portage should people part is that rapid in October flows or even at Easter flows. <coughs> My coffee's gone down the wrong way. So in the morning when we leave Hakapur, we hug that left bank as tight as it can be. 
I loaded Creek Boats with sleeping bag and dry clothes. Performed remarkably well in the sort of boily turmoil. And we scoot left and right, right and left, avoiding boils and pour-overs and stoppers and all that malarkey. And we just keep the nose up, so if we have to boof, we can. But this is not the can everywhere boofs are that important. Because it's flowing with a lot, so cubics. Hundreds worth. And soon enough the rapid goes easier and then it becomes flat. And we look at each other and nobody's got those big saucepan eyes. And we tell some jokes and we paddle on. And hack a post behind us now. And life is good. Rhino Rock. That's always a really good rapid for surfing waves. But it's washed out in monsoon flows. And we have hope that the jungle corridor that comes soon with its long wave trains will soon be also washed out because we're tired. And as we float into jungle corridor, our predictions are a little bit off. Yes, it's pretty flat in places and the waves are those rolling oscillations as opposed to the crashing waves of doom that we'd seen at no exit rapid. But after every few waves, you've got this sort of sucky, sucky boil thing. As the water tries to escape the sort of enclosed S-bends. Because we all know that water tries to find its own level. And it's bubbling around. At one particular time, Chris is in front and I've seen crest a wave only for me to come over the wave myself and not see him, he's disappeared. He's underwater, sucked under in a boil, head under, mystery moving in a huge creek boat. Pops up a few seconds later, disorientated. No roll was needed. Because he was upright. He just popped back to the surface. And we continue paddling. Laughing and joking. Things could have been worse. A blown spray deck and it would be a long swim. Longer than we could have even safely got to the bank. Because the banks have got big, boily eddy fences. But soon enough, we're in the irrigation channel in Chatter. We climb out and drag our tired bones to the Sun Cozy Raft Hotel. Which is not really a hotel, it's like a little tea shop, a kisser. And we eat dal bat and he does fried egg sandwiches and chips. And we sit and we ponder. We spend the night. It's hot. Really hot. And we swelter in the beds. We drink Fanta out of glass bottles. And in the morning, we set off for jeep and bus and truck to Ilam. Getting to Ilam late in the day, passing tea plantations to the left and to the right as the road winds up, winds up the valley. 
Ilham's a strange place because it's Nepal, but it feels like India, which would make a lot of sense because it's close to Darjeeling. Lots of the buildings there are painted in a kind of uh, Balamori-esque, Balamori, I think that's a kid's TV show, like a Balamori-esque psychedelia. You walk into the little market square there and you've got bright yellows and pinks and turquoises. We huddle into a little room and hide from the rain again. Get the fan blowing to dissipate that heat. Try and dry off our wet paddling gear. Try and dry off the sleeping bags that are damp with humidity. Because in the morning, we're going back down that road to the river. To the Kaimai Chu. Kaimai Chu, Kaimai Cola. To the Kaimai Cola. Where we've arranged to meet a friend, Andrew Rye. Who's taking the night bus from Kathmandu. A bus that'll take around 20 hours for him. Me and Chris make it down to the to the roadhead early morning and we're sitting. There's no bus station there. But we know that the bus will pass at some point in the morning. But when it will pass, we don't really know. And we sit and we talk to villagers. We watch as people walk back and forth with their beasts of burden. And before too long, Andrew Rye turns up. He's tired from that bus ride. He's nervous and apprehensive because this river is a first descent. And he's not paddled hard white water for quite a number of years. Dedicating himself to mountaineering and Everest summits. We walk up to the bridge and scout. First rapid looks nice, sort of a class 3-4. And then we can't see as the river goes round the right hand bend. But we take that right hand bend in our stride after that first rapid. First rapid, no one's made any mistakes. End with boat of choice, being a slicey tailed pre-on-socia. Perhaps not best suited to first descents. Especially with sleeping bag of food in the back. And our trip. We don't know how many days it's going to be. So we, we do have supplies. Mostly biscuits and noodles. But we have them. First rapid gone. Second rapid gone. Third and fourth rapids. Forgotten to time. Class three from what I remember. But I can't tell you the lines. We paddle down, we see villages that have never seen kayakers before. We get called to the bank and wel welcomed into family feasts and pujas. As four o'clock approaches, we find a village. And when I say village, I'm talking two or three makeshift properties. We climb out of our boats. We approach the properties, the shacks, if you will. We talk to the old people, we talk to the kids, we talk to the husbands and wives. 
They make us tea. They make us rice. Spinach and potatoes. We sleep in the porches. We're warm by the fire. Because even though it's hot in monsoon Nepal, we are quite cold with the little breeze that blows on our wet clothes. In the morning, noodles for breakfast and we set off again. Doesn't take us long to get to the highway. And the river that we thought might take a couple of days, we've done pretty quick. It's a day and a half. The same sort of time that it had taken me and Chris to do the Sun Cozy in a day and a half. At the takeout with funeral pyres just downstream and playing dogs and children playing with hoops and stones. We can sit and look back on this descent. It's not really important that it's a first descent. It's not really, really important the name of the river. It's not super important that I paddled it with friends, but obviously that makes for good memories. What's important is kindness. The kindness of the villagers that we met on that river. People that didn't know us. The hospitality they showed. Through no shared language, the stories of love. The stories of community. These things matter. We can all put hashtag be kind on some social media post. We can all offer advice from eddies or in emails or in phone calls and this may be taken wrong. But in this moment on this expedition, kindness is what mattered. Kindness and showing that the simple way of life without the trappings of modern world, without the endless scrolling on YouTube and Netflix, that there was a connection, human to human, across countries, across language, across dialects. And that was a beautiful thing. I don't quite know how we as paddlers in the UK, or if you're listening in Europe or the States, and I thank people for listening to me, especially in Europe and the States, when I know that my Yorkshire tones and slang may be confusing for people. So I do thank you for that. But how do we welcome people, strangers, into our communities? How do we break down those boundaries? And I'm not trying to be philosophical, just questioning I know that I've never welcomed a stranger passing into my house and made them a meal and made them tea. Perhaps we're conditioned to be wary of strangers. And but that first descent, one of many, makes me question things. As the journey finished on the on that first descent, we were welcomed by the Nepalese press who took some photos and bought us an expensive meal. And when I say expensive meal, it was just a better dial back. And they bought us bus tickets back to Kathmandu. And it was a long drive back to Kathmandu from the takeout, I think 30 hours on the bus. 
we'd be turning to Kathmandu tired and beaten down. The monsoon rains had not abated. Things were high and we toyed with the idea of paddling that drainage ditch that runs through Kathmandu. Is it the Bagmati or the Vishnumati? Probably the most dangerous rivers in the Himalayas. Not for their fierce rapids, but for the pollution levels. Especially the rivers that come really close into the city on the outskirts there. They are really nice. But we sit back in Kathmandu and eat Western food, talk about the trip and smile and laugh. Flying back to Britain after the trip. Bags full of wet kayaking kit that you can smell when you put it on the scales at the airport. And you just hope that it's not going to go too mouldy in the journey home. But it inevitably does. I quite miss monsoon paddling. I miss the Himalayas, if truth be told. But that was for a different time. And those stories that I'm telling, and well, these stories that I'm telling, I know they're not the end. Covid's just slowed down that explanation a little bit. But it's okay to pause it out. At the moment, personally, I'm exploring the UK. That's fine, isn't it? There's lots of little things in the UK that perhaps get neglected for the sort of golden chalice of international travel. Anyhow, I hope you listeners have a great day. And thank you, as a bit of a close on this, for those people that are buying me coffees. There's a little widget thing online. I'll put a link in somewhere. Uh, but you can buy me a coffee, which is really cool. I really appreciate it. Because I do like my coffee. And without my coffee, these podcasts might be boring. And they're probably boring anyway. But anyhow, thank you so much, everybody. Have a lovely day.